Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. Today's guest, Anita Baguandas, is that rare thing, a beauty journalist who's prepared to call out the beauty industry. Anita is currently a beauty columnist on The Guardian, but throughout her career she has worked on some of the biggest names in women's magazines and consulted for some of the most famous brands. It's not exactly the CV of someone you'd expect to see campaigning to break free of prevailing beauty standards. But Anita's new book, Ugly, does just that by examining how women are trapped by the way we're supposed to look, regarded as lesser if our face doesn't fit, if we're not white with Caucasian features and hair, if we're not size 10, if we're not 25. Quite often there isn't the inspiration to see that there's another way to do things or, you know, actually that's fine if you don't have that. You might have it a little bit later or might not have it, but actually that's fine and that's all okay. You are just showing this one way to live as a woman in particular, whereas I feel like men get a lot more, you know, you could be this bachelor doing all kinds of things and (laughs) whereas we don't necessarily get that choice. Anita joined me to talk about the first time she felt wrong growing up in a world of Barbie and how her perverse inner masochist led her to end up working in the very industry that made her feel not good enough. Plus, she takes us on a whistle-stop tour of anti-aging beauty advertising, tells us why otherwise smart women fall for the promise of glow, by which I mean me and probably you, and why middle age is such an utterly pointless term. If you want to see off beauty anxiety, start right here. Well, thank you so much for coming on The Shift. I'm delighted to have you. You're probably not quite old enough. 39. 39. Nearly, nearly. And it was really interesting to me listening to you talking about the male gaze and the way it starts to move away from you in your 30s, because I'm a lot older than you. I didn't know whether it was fascinating or depressing. You feel like it's already happening at that point. Yeah. To me, that's so young. So this is interesting. I think this might be a sort of, and more tech-related development, but you definitely notice on dating apps, um, being single as well, there's a huge drop-off as soon as you hit 35. So I remember when that happened and lots of friends of mine would sort of lie about their ages so that they stayed in that under 35 category. And yeah. that's a definite thing. And I think because of that and because people meet each other, you know, less organically these days and so much dating is done through apps, I think that's a really big thing. And I think that's put a big emphasis on that, actually. 
I think that's been an interesting modern shift. Dating apps just, I think, just terrify anybody who hasn't been out there for a little while. A friend of mine, God, this was back on Red, and she was dating. It was online dating, but it wasn't dating apps. And she she had a date with this guy who was admitting to 50, and she was probably about 37 or 38 at the time. And she was like, oh, I don't know. It's too old. Maybe I won't go. And I was like, like oh, well, my husband's 10 years older than me, and it works fine. So, you know, go, give him a chance. And she got there. And the first thing he said to her was, oh, I nearly didn't come because you're outside my age bracket. Yeah. I mean, how do you handle that? It's really tough. And I I think I've got male friends who are sort of, you know, probably like late 30s, early 40s and date women sort of generally like who are about 30 and sort of like that's probably their like bracket. They wouldn't necessarily go any higher than that. And I have asked them about that. I'm like, why would you like, why? And they don't necessarily have a reason and it's something they just do. And I I think, and this is a huge generalisation, I don't, it's not obviously not true for everyone, but I think particularly for the people I know, and let's hope they maybe don't listen to this, but um, (laughs) it's because they haven't necessarily gotten to the place in their career as they would want to. And so don't necessarily feel like if they perhaps were dating someone of the same age who maybe was, you know, fairly well established in their career, like it would make them feel bad. I think there is a sort of slightly ego. Just from app dating and men I've met and male friends I think that's my take on it I think they just don't feel ready enough for it or they need to buy themselves more time to get to that place in their careers and yeah because right, yeah. I always assumed it was like a baby thing that maybe men are in their late 30s they've got all the time in the world and so women of their own age are a bit more like I'm looking for the baby father this is where my brain is at but the idea that basically they don't want a woman of their own age because she's going to be too self-contained and too successful is really freaking depressing, isn't it? That success thing. I can't tell you the number of dates I've been on with men who I have thought have been successful and they just turned around and been like, almost like sort of slightly threatened by my success or almost they've almost seen it as a reflection on them. They're a little bit sort of like, oh, they I don't know. They're just like, oh, I think you're too successful for me or like you're too out of my league is like the phrase like you get a lot. And I'm just like, wow, this is, I don't know. I really like to like date people who I think have amazing careers or like really interesting passions, whatever it is, because it keeps me on my toes and I'm like, oh, amazing. You know, like yeah. keeps me getting, I find that inspiring, but I don't know if that is necessarily the case for everyone. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think particularly with more women going to university and you know that sort of thing I, I wonder if that is the flip side of that god that's really bloody depressing i'm almost wish we hadn't started this conversation now so really at least you're not single um no i know it might be cheering there's a number of women that i spoke to for the shift for the when i was writing the book who said that actually they had a lot more success with much younger men yes yeah and that much younger men were fully up for dating older women and it was actually men in their late 30s and 40s who had kind of Leonardo DiCaprio syndrome you know the women just kept getting younger and younger so interestingly I think this might be a generational thing because a lot of those men have probably had therapy or a little bit more open to that whereas I still think for lots of men in their sort of late 30s and 40s some have had therapies you know but like some haven't and I think that's quite a different generational thing and that sort of openness to talking about feelings and stuff I think is a bit mm. of a generation thing so yeah yeah that's true might be something in that yeah that's that's really interesting I mean, I obviously want to like talk a lot about aging and the beauty industry and you know how we got to this place where aging was ugly for want of a better way of putting it to kind of use your 
praise. But first, let's talk a little bit about you to give you some context. So can you tell us a little bit about Little Anita and your your own relationship with, I suppose, the beauty industrial complex for a better way of putting it? Yeah, Little Anita didn't have a concept of whether she was beautiful or ugly or anything like that really until I was probably about four-ish and at a party somebody basically told me that I was too big for a, an outfit, a costume at this fancy dress party and it was a really distinctive moment for me because it, it almost felt quite visceral. It was sort of like I, I just knew that I was being told there was something wrong with me and I guess even before that I had picked up messaging but it was the first time that someone external had like said that to me. And the first chapter of my book is essentially unpicking this alongside the help of sort of psychology and stuff. But I kept getting these messages about the fact that I just wasn't the beauty standard. I wasn't ideal. Um, There were lots of things about me that were wrong and undesirable and, you know, ugly, for want of a better word. And I just kept getting those messages over and over and over again. And I think if something tells you that over and over again, you do eventually start to believe it. And over the years, then as I got older and into my sort of teens and etc, I had just been told so many times from everything that I'd experienced, you know, from external sources, from the cartoons I watched as a kid, you know, there were never any Disney princesses who weren't the same, essentially. Um, all of this messaging just sort of built up to have this sort of real hold over the way I thought about myself and my appearance. And I didn't have anything to almost like counteract that in a way. And that norm was basically skinny, white and blonde. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And growing up in the sort of 90s as well with the whole sort of size zero thing and in the noughties. Yeah, there was a definite way to be beautiful and it was very narrow. Where did you grow up? Was it Wales? Wales, yeah. Was it a very mixed area or was it a very white area? Um, Parts of it were quite mixed and my school there were definitely a fair amount of Asian children in my school but past that it wasn't super diverse and it still definitely sort of stuck to the beauty standards that everyone else had you know like to be mm. the most popular girls were always the sort of archetypal pretty girls that you, you would imagine the girl next door um, and there was still very much a beauty standard that everyone was following so although there was a bit there was a little bit of diversity it didn't really make much of a difference when you're still being told the same messaging. It was a line, I think you, you said the pretty girls at school never leave you. And that's so true, isn't it? That it can start at four or five or maybe you're a little bit older and then that's that's kind of it. You know, I mean, I can yeah. still remember that feeling. And also being the third one in a friendship group, always being number three. Yeah, that feeling I don't think leaves you, even if you rationalise it, etc. I think, I guess when those things happen in your childhood, they do start to form a part of your self-esteem and your sort of, I guess I call it, I think, an invisible tagline in the book, but they sort of start to become how you see yourself. Yeah, you use an analogy a few times called an imaginary backpack of self-loathing, which I really loved. And I think I'm sure so many people listening will really identify with that, that kind of every time one of those little things chips away at you, you just like store it. Yeah. It just gradually becomes heavier and heavier. It's such a good analogy. Have you still got that backpack? I definitely do. Yeah. I don't think it's as easy if there's just reading a book or, you know, maybe having a little bit of therapy or like doing, you know, to clear that kind of level of, I guess, almost just discomfort in yourself. It, like it just doesn't happen overnight. And I think this is the issue that with sort of our modern sort of, I don't know, body positivity and self-love and everything we're told. It's gone from you have to be thin and you have to look a certain way to, to be pretty. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, you can be yourself. Like there is a huge gap in between that. And it's not just a, a switch that flicks. You don't just empty that backpack of self-loathing and it's all all right. There are still things I struggle with. Absolutely. And there are good days and bad days. But I definitely through all the work I've done on the book and other work as well, you know, therapy and lots of different things, I 
have managed to turn a bit of a corner on a few issues for sure so there are definitely things I'm much more at peace with but I'm not like walking around being like oh my god I'm so hot like that yeah but I definitely am more peaceful I would say I was gonna say if you've managed to literally empty that backpack and wander off and literally you could sell that you could be a very rich woman just teaching that so it was kind of slightly masochistic to want to work in the beauty industry yes yeah I've had to really look at that it was, I think it was a therapist um, when I was younger who pointed that out because I hadn't ever made that connection. But when I was writing the book, I did really, it just, it really dawned on me. I mean, the reason I become so obsessed with beauty products when I was younger and I was really obsessed with them. I had ma- more makeup than any of my friends put together. It was the thing I spent all my money on. And even at university, it was the thing I spent all my money on. You know, the reason I did that was partially because I had to go above and beyond to try and find products for my skin color, because this might seem unimaginable to people now, but like there was just nothing. There was literally nothing. Like I, I do remember, I think the darkest, my mum had the same compact. We both had the same one. And the darkest powder was probably someone of like a like sort of middle-ish olive skin tone. You know, I've got dark South Indian skin. Like, yeah, there was just no way. They were just, they just weren't the products. And even in like nearby in Cardiff, there was nothing in Cardiff either. So it was like, there was just nothing. So you were either having to make do with products made for white skin or I kept just trying to mix stuff and like try and make my own things. And so I had to go in above and beyond to try and find solutions. So I think that's part of the reason I was obsessed with beauty, but also because I was obsessed with what beauty could potentially give you. And that for me, it was... I hoped it might open these like magical doors to this realm where I would finally feel like I was beautiful or pretty and attractive. And I was always looking for that. And I put loads and loads of hope on beauty products. So I just was obsessed with them. Like I just loved it. I loved it so much. And I can see that hope sometimes in in people I meet and people who message me. And I can see it online just from watching people where, you know, products will get wait lists because they've got clever names and, you know, the brand, you know, the marketing and stuff has been well done. And they think it is sort of like a jar of hope. And I can see that playing out for people. For you, was it makeup or was it moisturiser? More makeup um, because I had quite oily skin when I was younger and I was always trying to mattify it, which again, you know, a lot of dark people with dark skin do have oily skin and you're sort of taught that it's bad for some reason and it's really not actually at all and I wish I was as oily as I used to be but yeah it was mostly makeup actually I was trying to always like put my face on to be pretty or my hair as well I would always try and find straightening products and um like I'd always blow dry it straight and try and avoid the rain which was really hard in Wales growing up because it rained every day yeah um yeah it was yeah mainly hair and makeup I mean was there a sense with wanting to go into magazines and into fashion and beauty journalism wanting to make change or was it wanting to fit in it was a weird combination of both I've never really fit in I've always sort of marched to my own beat a little bit I knew I wasn't going to fit in fit in and that was fine because I I just wanted to see more than magazines were giving people and giving me which is the ideas I always pitch were like sort of almost like quite progressive and always too progressive then the other part of me once you're in that environment with lots of people who, you know, come from similar backgrounds, might all look the same, or like you, when you come into an environment that has a set of values, you do want to fit in because nobody wants to feel like they're the odd one out or not welcome or not valued or, you know, othered in some way. So you do want to fit in. And yeah, I definitely wanted that and wanted, I guess, in some ways to have a part of or experience what it would feel like to be that kind of amazing, glossy magazine person. So there was definitely a part of that for sure. But yeah, I definitely was always very driven by wanting to create change. Yeah, because it struck me when we, I mean, we kind of crossed on and off a long time ago, but also then looking at your biography before before we started recording, there's this really interesting mix 
of like you know working for all those big titles and and you know getting right to the heart of the kind of magazine beauty industry but also you've never really been afraid to stand up to those guys to subvert maybe not the right word but to start to question them and to to kind of question what we're being sold yeah I've always had quite a strong sense of I guess what I thought was right and wrong. Yeah, even when I was an assistant, I would challenge loads of stuff. And I was really lucky when I worked at Stylist in particular that the sort of mandate there was very much, you know, we don't like we try all the products and we make sure you don't like it was almost anti what so many of the magazines had been sort of peddling for years with this like sort of like fake beauty journalism speak and, you know, and sort of, you know, that sort of like slightly disempowering, disingenuous way so like it really fit me actually because I was able to to sort of have an opinion and have a voice and think differently and and that sort of thing and you know there's obviously definitely been times in my career when I've had to write things I didn't want to write or wasn't maybe fully allowed to express how I felt and you know there is always a balance with those things and for me I've always sort of thought right okay so what's the greater good here if I can make a little bit of change here even if I don't say everything I think then that's probably better if I can help or reflect or speak to some people that's better than me not speaking to anyone and that's always been my thought with that. To, well, it's better to be in the inside making change than it is to be shouting from the outside, I guess. Yeah, totally. The celebrity beauty routine pieces, you know, and the, I suppose the equivalent now would be how I get it done. They're always somebody flogging something and they always make you feel absolutely shit, even as the person who's writing them. Because yeah. you, you don't have a 10 product routine. Or do you have a 10 product routine? I don't know. Maybe I should ask you what your celebrity beauty routine is. Well, it's a, it's a real, it's a hit and miss of whatever I can grab. Sometimes it's really extensive. And then some days I will just rub whatever I can find on my face. Yeah, those routines, I was just like, this is just made up and fake like it's pointless i don't think it's good for people yeah i mean i remember always feeling like that about anna winter's morning routine you know like they get up at five play tennis and then you know the hairdresser will come around and you'll have a blow dry and then you get to your desk at seven and your starbucks and your muffin are always waiting but you know the only thing that we had in common there was the starbucks and the muffin and it was like (laughs) never waiting and the difference was i ate it Where do you think it comes from the way that that kind of beauty anxiety, as you phrase it, do you think that was always built into the beauty industry or do you think it emerged? If we sort of say that the industry, I guess, started in the sort of Victorian era as a a proper industry, I think it has always been there because you can actually see it in very early adverts. And I guess the first way it was really sold to us was in terms of celebrity endorsements. And that's very subtle because um, a lot of those early sort of, you know, sort of silent movie stars would be selling like soaps. It was quite often a soap or a face powder what it's selling you is like if you buy this you will look like me and then it sets up this person as an ideal and so there is anxiety there whether we want to you know you know whether we can see that or not there is there is like a there's a sort of you and me us and them thing there um so we get it from there and then as time goes on and particularly in the sort of second world war in the post second world war period there is a real shift in advertising and it it the anxiety is it's so obvious and it's playing on women's desperation it's really yeah it's really sad and th- at the time there was like a lack of men basically uh, because obviously lots of men were at war and there have been lots of casualties and it, it's sort of using this desperation of women to sell more beauty products and from there onwards I think you can see how there is a bit of a change in how much that anxiety ramps up but 
generally speaking, until fairly recently, I think that anxiety has still been a really big part of how beauty products are sold and how magazines are sold and how lots lots of things are sold to women, actually. And men, there, you know, there's definitely there are things sold to men like that, too, in terms of like, you know, weight gain or like bodybuilding stuff or, you know, that sort of that side of things or like hair growth and all of that. But yeah, there is a definite anxiety that is being sold to people. It struck me as quite interesting that some of the biggest names and the earliest names in beauty, like Estee Lauder, Elizabeth Arden, Helena Rubinstein, they're women, not exclusively women behind it, but there are powerful women behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the really inspiring stories. You know, we still have those modern stories today, you know, like people like Joe Malone, etc. Amazing. There's so many brilliant founders. And that's that's really inspiring. I guess I think as you go along further into history, particularly at that sort of mid-century period, that's when advertising starts to come in in a completely different new way. And those ad companies are run by men and they are generally run by white men. And I think that in particular period is when things become really toxic and then it really all starts to shift. And I think we are living with the impact of that you know that's people's parents or their grandparents you know those beauty standards from that time affect people we know and like can be passed through generations etc etc so i think that attitude is still present in our society in different ways and i think that was a period that really shifted things do you think the beauty standards that you you absorbed did that come from home or the kids at school that definitely came from a mix of what i was seeing on tv and all the cartoons and my Barbies. I've got this picture because mm-hmm. I was so obsessed with my dolls and I loved Barbie. And I've got this picture and I had loads and loads of Barbies. They're all just sat. I used to put on little sort of like fashion shows and like photo shoots with them and they're all sort of lined up and they're all like, it's really telling. There are all these thin white dolls and I just look at that picture and I'm like, wow, there is no wonder. Like there was no, there was no other way that could have turned out so between that and then what I was seeing on tv through all the Disney stuff you know going to school and I really vividly remember the teachers always cooing over this like there were some particular girls who had like very very long blonde hair and they were always cooing over them and you know as a child you can't help but go oh okay so that's what's beautiful because no one's doing that to me with my like frizzy curly hair no one's doing that to me and so all of those things stacked up because yeah it was definitely not what was happening at home because my parents are very like not bothered about appearances at all my mum doesn't really bother with beauty very much she's not she just doesn't really care so that isn't an attitude I was brought up with at home so that's really interesting that is definitely an external thing that's definitely not part of the culture I was brought up with at home for sure so yeah that's that's fascinating because that is all external yeah it's really interesting isn't it because it didn't counteract it at all and so many people what you talk to when they talk about their body image issues or diets or even grooming they will be the kids stuff but they'll also say oh yeah my mum spent the whole of the 1980s on the f-plan diet or whatever but you weren't getting any of that at home. No, no, my mum does not care about that at all. Never mentioned anti-aging, does not care at all. How interesting. So her approach to aging is just bring it on. Yeah, she just doesn't, she just doesn't even factor in, wouldn't even factor into her. And I do think that is a little bit more of an Indian attitude to things because I think, you know, even for women, there is largely speaking more of a focus on education and, you know, that that being the sort of marker of things rather than appearance. So much of this messaging is, is subliminal and it is, you know, you sort of just take it in and sort of internalize it and it would probably would never have occurred to me to go oh why aren't I I don't know why don't I look like that or you know which is something I've heard a lot of you know a lot of friends of mine who do have kids that's something that they have said to me particularly you've got uh, friends who've got children friends of color who've got children who are also of color quite often you know they have heard their children say stuff like like why aren't I like white and pretty and you know and so this pattern is still going my granddaughter is um half korean and she came back from school when she was about five saying why can't i be a princess 
just like oh man yeah yeah it's very true literally someone earlier was just saying to me that every time in the school nativity every year mary was always blonde and there are just these things that just affect children from such a young age even if they seem sort of relatively insignificant yeah one point you say in the book that you were taught to fear aging long before you started to experience it tell us a bit about that yeah this is again another interesting thing because definitely didn't get that from my home there was no worry about aging in my family at all my mum doesn't care. Um, she still doesn't care. She's in her 70s. She just does not care. Um, she's never used an anti-aging cream. She just doesn't not doesn't factor into her, her life. But you do, and I guess I really unpicked this when I was researching the book, but pretty much every older woman in the cartoons I was watching or the Disney stories I was watching, the older women are always wicked or evil or demonised in some way. And they're very jealous of, you know, youth in some way. You know, they're always like, that's what they're looking for. They just want, you know, they want that magic pill that's going to make them youthful. And, and so you're set up to fear ageing, which is really terrible. And and the way that sort of like frames older women in our society is awful. And you sort of see that, I think, as well in, in sort of culture where it's always the mum that is like nagging. Like I just think the mother is always set up to be just not this aspirational figure. Yeah, which is the boring one, really the nagging one. It's always that. Even like in Christmas films, you see this all the time. It, you know, it's the widowed dad. And like, why is it never like, it's never the mum who's like the hero for having to like, you know, raise a kid on her own or whatever it is. So I think we just have that narrative in pretty much all of our entertainment and everything we engage with. I don't know, I just I think it just is so limiting for women and it's so deeply unfair. Yeah, I mean, I was interested that you were said at the beginning of the chapter about ageing that it took you a long time to write it because it felt too close for comfort. Yeah, I think because I am in my late 30s, it is, it's a really funny time. Weirdly, I have always struggled with not so much the ageing process, but with getting older and what that means. You know, we are told what it is to be like the ideal 30 year old woman or, you know, the ideal 40 year old woman or what, you know, whatever that looks like. And if you don't measure up to that, quite often there isn't the inspiration to see that there's another way to do things or, you know, actually that's fine if you don't have that. You might have it a little bit later or might not have it, but actually that's fine and that's all okay. You are just shown this one way to live as a woman in particular. Whereas I feel like men get a lot more, you know, you could be this bachelor doing all kinds of things. And <laughs> whereas we don't necessarily get that choice. And I think, yeah, for me with the aging, because I have started to see the first signs of physical aging as well. Yeah, it's been a struggle for me because I've sort of been battling against what I know I believe is right in that I think we've been done a huge disservice in the focus on anti-aging and the obsession with youth being the only way to be beautiful but also feeling the effects of having grown up in that myself and I definitely feel that too and I really hate that I feel that and I think for me the way forward is just in a much more conscious quite gentle way and not making any rash decisions um I don't have any tweakments or anything like that but I'm I might not rule them out in the future because I know that I am a product of you know my society and the way I've grown what I've grown up in but I would like to find a, a way to age that isn't terrified of it or hating the way I look and I think that was the point of that chapter for me was to just have a bit more ease with getting older and to sort of see some positives and to understand why we have focused on youth for women as the only way to be beautiful. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, in reality, you look great when you're younger, but you also just have a different kind of beauty that evolves as you, as you get older. And yeah, I just think there's there's just another way. Yeah. Do you feel like you know where to look? for that other way no not at all because you don't see it very often and when you're presented with someone who was aged gracefully which is a, a term I really hate in itself like who decides that's graceful and what isn't and what does that even mean like for me graceful is quiet and it's somebody who's aged yeah. quietly hasn't made a fuss and that is that's patriarchal control that's that's not I don't know I think the older you get the more you should say because you've got more experience and you've lived more and there's more value in that to me than I don't know a teenager maybe saying stuff and that's not that they shouldn't have their opinion to they absolutely should but I don't know I just think we don't have enough reference for older people in sort of western society in a way that I do see actually in my Indian culture that there is a lot more respect for older people and the wisdom of older people and like yeah I definitely yeah I think that's definitely something that I would like to see more examples of women being allowed to be themselves and age the way they want to age or be the way they want to be at different ages and I just don't think we see enough of it across the board film tv radio magazines everything I mean that's that's the point isn't it it's the visibility issue but it's how women are or aren't allowed to age because it's like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't have tweakments which I absolutely hate the word tweakments because it's like it feels to me like it's set up to make it sound like it's not oh it's nothing it's just a little just a little tweak but it's like age gracefully but don't go grey don't have wrinkles but don't overdo it don't look fake go look natural and ages and it's like oh my god I mean I'm sure there'll be some bloke on Twitter who would say to me men do feel like that too and I'm sure that they do a bit but the reality is that an ageing man traditionally has gravitas and you know prosperous and has power and status and, and frankly why ageing men because let's call it what it is is white aging men have had it all their own way for such a long time and it feels to me like the beauty industry has been really really instrumental in making sure that women don't yeah i think traditionally it has actually and i think that's very telling the fact the anti-aging industry really sort of shot up in sort of the 80s when the whole advertising thing was I think that was another one of its peaks. And as I said, advertising companies are generally run by, you know, white men and they have worked together almost like side by side to sell people anxiety and insecurity. And it's really sad because I, I just think it limits so many people. And yeah, it just makes what should be, you know, a more confident period of your life, you know, after coming through the struggles of your 20s, etc. It just takes away a lot of joy for a lot of people, I think. And they're already worried about how they're going to look, you know, when they get older or they're already, you know, you sort of get to 30 and people are already, I always remember there wasn't really any chat about injectables or anything like that until I remember as we started to get to sort of like 28, 29, 30, all of a sudden our talks about, you know, our sort of dinner time conversations with my friends had gone from it being our jobs and this was really exciting and this was happening and it started to turn a little bit more towards, oh, I think I might have Botox or I think I might do this and this sort of weird like rite of passage, but you know, that's been put there. 
and like people are having it even younger now with you know the idea of preventative botox which is obviously being created um preventing aging basically yeah yeah, it's not gonna happen like you are gonna get older if you are lucky there is one sure thing you will get old and then you'll probably die and it's really interesting because one of my friends is a funeral director and she yeah she's she was like it's i think if you were she was like if people worked in my industry you would see what a privilege it is to get older because it's there's nothing more tragic than seeing someone who's really young who's died she was like there's nothing more tragic and it just gives you a real like i'm really lucky to be alive point of view on things and i I think that's obviously quite harsh and very bleak but it is something worth thinking about i mean as somebody who works in the beauty industry how do you think that whole approach to anti-aging has evolved if at all yeah i think brands are a lot more cautious of using the word anti-aging but that language is still you know the ingredients are still there the language is still there it just it, it takes away that anti-aging focus like you know yeah, they just not on the words. box yeah yeah it's like brightening or glowing or like you know it gets a different word i mean it's better than it being anti-aging i think because i think that is such an odd phrase anti-aging like that sort of battle talk with you know the battle against aging that sort of started to come into our vernacular in the 80s and it's in a lot of 80s beauty advertising i think for me like that battle i think is i hate that kind of talk and i think that's really detrimental detrimental because it's not a fight because there's plenty of other things for women to you know have to cope with let alone having to deal with battling aging the beauty industry is changing the words a little bit the intent is still there but it wouldn't it be nice to just buy a moisturizer just want a nice moisturizer just makes my skin less dry great amazing like you know that's where i'm hoping things are going and will go Um, it's so weird isn't it like you i worked in tangentially to the industry for a long time I feel like I'm quite cynical about all that stuff, but show me a product that promises me glow and I've literally bought it before I've even engaged my brain. What is that about? Why do otherwise smart women, and I'm meaning myself, do that? Why do we buy it, do you think? Intellectually, not like physically buy it, although both, you know. Yeah, because I, well, because we've had so many years of conditioning to think that the only way to be beautiful is to be young and like we've had centuries of that and particularly since the beauty industry has been around it sold that pretty much from its start and i think we are just so conditioned to want that and to pin our hopes on something that might get us that and before we even can rationalize it that kicks in and like i have done the same even as someone who's you know written a book about this so you know like if you can sort of just interrupt that for a minute and i guess this is one of the things i i guess one of the tools i sort of give people in the book is just this sort of process of just going just wait a minute run through these questions if you still want it at the end of this just like you know put it aside for a minute and then go back to it do you really want it what do you think this product is going to give you because it could be a great moisturizer awesome which is amazing but is it going to change your life is it going to make you look five years younger or 10 years younger no probably not actually and it is just yeah just taking more control and autonomy back over our choices and yeah but the thing is we will still make those decisions but it is just knowing why we're making them and you know why we're flipping into that oh i've got to have it it's going to change my life mentality and you know anything to get that glow etc so it's it's yeah i think it's just an automatic reaction that we now have but i don't think it's it's something we were born with and i don't think it's an intrinsic reaction i think that is something we've been conditioned to do over time yeah i've internalized it i've kind of got all the privileges i'm white i'm straight and i felt probably around about your age around about turning 40 and into my early 40s was the point when i kind of looked up and thought where is everyone What's next? Where do I go? What is that like for you as a brown woman approaching 40? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a couple of interesting factors here in that, I guess, you know, I am single, I would love to have children. So there is a biological thing, which is, you know, like really tricky to navigate, to be totally honest. So there is, you know, there's that side of things. And I, I guess this is an interesting generational thing as sort of being a millennial, older end of the millennial spectrum. The geriatric end, yeah. <laughs> I do have lots of friends who have decided to not have children, I think, in a way that maybe generations above maybe didn't necessarily. Like lots of my friends have actually actively decided that they don't want to have kids. And so that's interesting because you see different paths that maybe my parents didn't see we you know wasn't mm. an option for them so that's quite interesting but then on the other side of that like i'm asian i've got dark skin i've got more melanin in my skin so i've got more natural sun protection etc my skin is basically i've aged a little tiny bit facially but generally speaking i've looked pretty much the same for the last 20 years yeah no you look and really young you do look you look really young so the interesting thing with this is that i weirdly get hit on by a lot of men in their 20s yeah. and i also dress like i sort of like i sort of dress like the goth that i was when i was 15 i haven't really evolved out of that i mean it's gotten a little bit more refined but I generally I look quite young I guess my age and that's really interesting when sort of you're approached by men in your 20s or even just like people who are younger in their 20s and they're just like oh my god can't believe you're like 39 or whatever and I think they are like they think it's a compliment but it does make you feel worse because it makes you feel old and it makes you feel like out of date it's just I hate that feeling and like I think if I could get rid of anything it's that feeling and I would like I'm gonna you know I am active actively trying to change my social media feeds and stuff to make sure I don't feel like this because I don't want to feel like after 40 everything's over or like I, like I want to be excited about the rest of my life and I think that is a birthright we should all have is to continue to be excited about our lives and not think that phrase middle age is something that's really interesting at the moment because people keep sort of like mentioning it and I think a lot of male friends actually in particular I think are quite scared of it of this phrase mm-hmm. middle age I mean what is middle age like how do you define that I don't know I in my head it's always been about 45 but I think yeah, it's literally into- the middle isn't it I mean that's all you know, that phrase middle age is like more of a recent thing. That's not how people used to define the different age groups. There was another way to phrase it. I need to dig that out. And it was really brilliant. And it was almost more of just like a wise age or something like that. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. I was like, yeah, that is it. Middle age is just a way to make people feel shit, essentially. I actually think we should just take it out of our vernacular because what does that even mean? You know, if you live till, I don't know, 40, then 20 is your middle age. Like it literally means nothing. Like it means nothing. And I think it's just a way to put people in boxes. Like you could be, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, and I don't know, be having like the best sex of your life or hitting your career high. And that that's amazing. And I, I just think like it's those definitions are so, so toxic. The issue is, I think we need to take control of defining those things because nobody's going to do that for us. And advertising companies are not going to do that for us. Marketing companies are definitely not because they just want to focus on whoever is the new young generation. You know, so I just remember it so vividly when I was when I was working at a magazine and it was the first time this sort of talk of this generation stuff really started to come into play. And before this point, you know, we were the juniors in the office. You know, you had your ideas, etc., but you didn't step above your station. And all of a sudden this word millennial came in and mm. everyone cared about what we thought. And it was really funny because I was like, oh, my God, this is wild. But then, you know, a few years later nobody cared about millennials and it was like that was over and you've been discarded then for the next group and these whole groups these sort of aging categories you know these generations are defined so people can sell us things that is literally it probably some white guy in a boardroom you know like decided that was a thing and now we're being defined by it entire 
industries are being geared up towards you know selling us stuff and i just think it's really weird that we're doing that because that you might have more in common with someone who's like two generations above you than you would like someone in your own generation i definitely found that yeah i mean it is irrelevant but the madness of the the real madness of the white guy in the boardroom who only cares about gen z's this five minutes is that they aren't the people who've got any money at all so yeah it's like he's clearly not any good at his bloody job but yeah it's kind of crazy i mean i think that the thing about middle age is that everybody started saying midlife and then that i just, I just that just makes me die it just makes me cringe so I think in a way, almost like middle age, there was a slight attempt to reclaim middle age as a, it's not the chinos and the lawnmower and the bungalow and all of that. You know, it's it's just the middle. That's all it is. It's nothing. But I, I totally agree with you. It's like, you know, it's all fake. It's like pitting millennials against boomers and whatever. It's just, we are who we are. And everybody I know is still the same person that they were. And they still want to wear, like the number of people I know with goth tendencies, because I think we were like, slightly out of it at school and you tend to veer towards goth as something to give you a, a bit of an identity it's still the same we just want the same thing just probably more expensive yeah people like say my style is posh goth and that's very much the case it's yes from like being camden goth to you know slightly more i don't know like slightly more dior goth maybe not quite that but you know <laughs> you don't like lose your personality as soon as you like turn 40 or whatever it is and i yeah i think that's definitely true I love being in my 50s. I think 40s is the bit where you feel like, oh, it's all over now. And also you might get menopause. And it's like, I kind of felt like once I got to 50, I was like, oh, it's actually great because I'm just me. All of that other stuff that kind of bogs you down in your 30s, the timeline stuff, it's kind of gone. And you kind of got over that little hump where you're like, oh, it's all over now. And it isn't. It's fine. It's not all over. It's just that a whole bunch of people told me it would be. Yeah, that is, it's that thing where I think if I didn't want children, it'd probably be a bit less of a, a thing. Mm. Because at the moment, I, you know, I still would. Then I think that's the thing. But yeah, I've got friends who don't want children who are in their 40s or like about to be 40 who are just like, yeah, this is great. I'm really excited about my next career thing. Or I'm really excited about my next travel thing and, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, I think that is the tricky thing. And yeah, obviously there is a biological element to that. I just even think the way that, you know, quite often age groups are sort of like something to 35. I think there was just so much focus on that, like that number. And as soon as you hit that number, and I remember feeling that very viscerally, I was like, oh God, I haven't, you know, I think I just split up with someone at 35. And I was like, oh God, like it was just this feeling of doom. And yeah, it's put like a real shadow over each of my birthdays every year. And I really want to, as I come up to 40 next year, just not feel like that. I just don't want to feel like that. And I just don't think any of us deserve to feel like that. And I just, yeah, I hope that there is a future generation of women who don't have to feel like that. And if I can help and be part of that solution for them, then I would love that. Yeah, I hope as more of us to kind of stand up and go 55, still here, you know, still doing what I do, still really enjoying it. I hope as more and more people do it of different backgrounds and races and gender identities and it will start to become more normalised, I hope. But I think it's a really slow really slow process. I'm sorry to ask you a beauty editor question, but I can't have you here and not ask you a beauty editor question. So given all of everything that you know about branding and the language that beauty companies use, is there any one product or several products who you think, yeah, they are absolutely worth buying? I definitely would. Or 
Is there not? <laughs> no, do you know what? There is. And this is this is interesting. I, I still think there is loads of great beauty products out there. I still love beauty products. You know, there are brands that I would probably choose that maybe wouldn't be my cup of tea because I don't like, you know, the way that they do things or etc. But I think there are still loads of great beauty products out there because I do think beauty like fashion can be an incredible tool for self-expression. And I think that's where we just need to push that focus to just take that focus off. I think particularly, I think as you get older, putting your makeup on or your skincare, you look in the mirror and it becomes about, you know, I need to cut oh my god my dark circles I need to cover those got a wrinkle here I need to try and like moisturize that and see if that goes I need to do this and that and that and it becomes this sort of almost like this daily routine of beating yourself up about getting older and I think if we can shift out of that a little bit I think that is a really important mindset sort of change and I guess one of the ways I think that you can do that is to focus on slow beauty and I talk about this a little bit in the book but and for me that concept is just about well, number one it is about slowing down and buying things more mindfully and not sort of just buying in that beauty anxiety mode when we see something on social media or you know or on a forum or wherever it is that tells us it is going to take 20 years off us in five minutes or etc but it's also about enjoying beauty products again because I think because there is such a vast amount there is I think it does take the enjoyment out of things and you know if you can use a cream because you love the way it looks and I'm very visual I love beautiful things and you know like the packaging is a really important thing to me so if I love the way a pot looks in my bathroom like I really enjoy using it or the smell of products or you know the textures or just something that makes you feel amazing because of the way it makes you feel because of all those amazing sensorial things I think that is the way forward and then particularly with makeup for it not to be this sort of I guess you know to use that word war paint it's not war paint there you are not going into battle against or against your face or aging it's not like covering up your circles or covering things up or masking things or hiding it's about expressing just how you feel it's about expressing yourself and expressing how you feel on the inside on the outside and that's something I like I keep coming back to is that beauty and fashion are these amazing tools to sort of do what you want with your own canvas and we've lost that along the lines when you know this whole like sort of anti-aging stuff has been pushed on us we've lost that along the lines and I think that is the way to reclaim it it's to wear an amazing red lipstick because you love red lipstick or to like wear the goth eye that I don't know you used to wear when you were a teenager and I do think quite often when we do sort of feel tired and you know we don't like the way we look or I don't know we sort of shift into that focus where we're sort of trying to hide everything I think it's because we are trying to get back to that point where we were our our authentic selves and that's what we need to focus on it's like you know how do I how do I feel the most myself yeah it's definitely something to think about I think when people do their you know do their routines and put on their makeup etc yeah don't see it as something to fix you it's about expression, not solving a problem. Yeah, absolutely. It's not the concealing. It's not any of that. It's it's self-expression. That is what makeup is. And even from its earliest days and sort of, you know, in the ancient periods, it was it was a ritual and it was adornment and it was quite ceremonial. And I think if we can bring those elements back, then I just think it just takes the edge off that constant soundtrack that just goes like you look old, you look tired. Oh, you look really tired. I literally did it to myself this morning. I looked at myself and I went, oh, you look really tired. I am really tired. Not that you look tired, it's that you are tired. You know, I'm t- I am tired of, you know, the, the bullshit we're being fed. I'm also tired. I'm also tired because I haven't had enough sleep. And, you know, maybe that is a self-care element then. We can sort of ditch the self-care because 
we do generally speaking put others you know above and beyond and before ourselves so you know maybe that is something to look at if there is someone out there who is like oh, i feel so tired maybe you do need some self-care and the self-care thing has become a huge like buzzword and a big marketing thing and that doesn't mean you have to buy anything to do self-care self-care is free and the biggest kind of self-care you can do is and statistically and this is you know proven over and over again by studies across the world the best thing you can do for your self-care is is to have community and community can come through amazing podcasts like this and and friends and family etc so you can get it in lots of different ways yeah it's interesting it's just, it's just been subverted as something else to buy right i'm gonna ask you the questions that i always ask at the end so what's your emotional age oh that's an interesting one i would say it's probably about 30 I'm still very excited by stuff and can be slightly childlike. I just really love the things I've always loved. So I love going to gigs. I love going to see bands. I still get a lot of enjoyment from the things I was doing in my 20s, etc. So I guess it maybe sits a bit younger than maybe the things that lots of people are potentially doing in their late 30s. I don't know. Give us a book recommendation. So what book would you push on a friend? It could be something you've loved a long time or it could just be something good that you read recently. Um, I am going to say um, Patty Smith's Just Kids. I think that That's is brilliant. Yeah, I like try and reread it every few years. I mean, it's such a great snapshot into a period of time. And Patty Smith is amazing and another one of these very inspirational people. I've always been obsessed with her and like used to try and dress like her when I was at uni and stuff. And yeah. Stuff. But yeah, I just think super aspirational, did things on her own terms. And also just every time I read that book, I feel really inspired about writing again. I think sometimes, particularly as a writer, you need that. And sometimes, yeah, it can get a little bit samey sometimes. So yeah, I think that is something that everyone would love. Um, would she also be your old bird role model? Oh, yeah, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon so. I just like that she's always done her own thing. But I'm also obsessed with Cindy Gallup. Um, yes, yes. Obsessed with her. She's like a friend of a friend. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like always trying to be like, can you introduce us? So I, I just, I love her approach. And she did an amazing video on YouTube talking about um, just like her dating life and stuff. And I just was like, oh my God, I want to see more women like you everywhere. I just thought she was amazing. Yeah, she's brilliant. And it's like every birthday, she like really shouts about it. She's like, yes, I am like 61 now. I'm 62 now. Just like, and she's just totally doing her own thing. She's great. Yeah, I love her. What advice would you give younger women? Just have have some time off social media. And yeah, that sounds really boring and a bit like a slightly lecturing thing that someone older than you might say. Um, and I probably would have not listen to that at their age, but I would just say, just come out of that bubble a little bit and, and try and just find things beyond that just because I just don't think it's doing anyone's mental health very much good but also to just make your own decisions and I think that's something each generation faces but yeah just to, to try and just keep as much autonomy over yourself and your decisions as you possibly can and whether that's beauty or fashion or you know your career or whatever you decide to do in life whether you have children whether you don't whether you get married you know your sexuality everything just try and keep your sense of self and your autonomy as you go through life and it's really hard but I think if you can always come back to what you love what lights you up then that is a really good thing to have that's good advice what's your superpower got very fast reflexes weirdly <laughs> so that would be one i well i've got adhd and a lot of people think that that's a superpower i don't know if i'm fully of that belief because i, I really struggled with it when i was younger and a lot of the things that caused me a lot of grief were adhd related i was only diagnosed a few years ago in adult life so yeah that's been quite an interesting journey and quite a lot of grief in that as well to sort of like look back at my younger years and, and sort of yeah just put a reason to the way that i felt the way i did about things or why i couldn't remember things or you know just all of that but within that 
I guess, very good at seeing shifts in patterns and behaviors and sort of noticing patterns. So that's quite a weird superpower in that I can always see when something is going to change. So almost like a pattern of behavior is going to change. So I'm very good at trend forecasting. Weirdly. That's it's like really a, useful. Really useful. Yeah. But I'm almost like in terms of journalism, I'm always like too far ahead of my time. So but people don't really care about that right now. So yeah, it's it's getting bad, but <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> and last one, how many fucks do you give? I want to be a place where I say I give zero fucks. I'd probably give, if it was a scale of 10 of fucks, I would probably give five fucks. Because sometimes it's good to care, you know, what people think and to be mindful of people's experiences and people's opinions and stuff. And I have a lot of time for that. I would say five. And then I think, yeah, probably as I get older, I'm hoping it will maybe go down to about a three. But I don't know if I'd want to go below a three because I still think it's good to be open and receptive to what people have to say and, yeah, other people. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash The Shift. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 